The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Mark. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a nut into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nuts and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boats mending their nuts. And immediately he called to them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat and with hired servants and followed him. And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And immediately there was in the synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, What have you done with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice came out of him and they were all amazed so that they questioned among themselves saying what is this a new teaching with authority he commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him and at once his fame spread everywhere throughout the surrounding region of Galilee the gospel of the Lord So if you would, I'm going to share one more word of prayer before we hear from God's word. So please bow with me. Dear Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth in the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. And in the oldest prayer of the church, I pray, come, Holy Spirit, come, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, I'm excited to be here with you today. I'm excited to hear more from the book of Mark as we've begun to unpack who this Jesus is and why he came. And so I think this is the third week into this new series on the book of Mark. You know, we began with the baptism of Jesus, then we looked at Jesus in the wilderness last week, and now this week we look at the beginning of his ministry. And as is our custom here at the DI Fellowship, I want to begin this time with a question. If someone could see the various beginnings in your life, what would they see? If someone could see the various beginnings in your life, what would they see? Now, for some of you that have been with our church from the beginning, a couple of these little short stories might sound familiar because I've shared some of them before, but bear with me. You see, when Carly and I got married, if you were to look at the beginning of our marriage, I think you would see youthful pride and passion. So here's the deal. We got married. I was 20 years old. Carly was 22 years old. She robbed the cradle. 
And uh, we had no money. In fact, I still had time left uh, at Wheaton College. I had a semester left in my undergrad. And uh, we had no money, but we did have connections to people that would help us. But I was too prideful to lean into those connections for help. For instance, my father uh, was a car dealer and owned multiple car franchises. And you would think as a newlywed couple, I would be willing to ask him for help in getting our first vehicle. Negative. I actually, with the, I think we might have had two to $3,000 saved up. I had saved from high school. And I went and purchased a 1970 Volkswagen bus. Baby blue in color. Any other uh, people own a Volkswagen bus in here? Raise your hand. Yes! You, there's more hippies in the 11 a.m. service than the 9 a.m. service. That's what I'm talking about. Serge and Frank and, yeah, Marie. And I know the McSwains. They had a bus. Nate had a bus. So we had this bus, and I thought, man, we've made it. I'm providing for my family, 20 years old. And we're in Chicago, and it started out okay because we got married in the summer. But then the fall hit, and I noticed this bus didn't really have heat. And, and there was this nasty smell of exhaust because it would, like, somehow um, filter into the cab of the bus, right? Frank's like, yeah, that happens to me all the time. So listen, so once winter hits, if any of you are from, like, up north, it gets cold. And within six months of owning this bus with no heat, I ended up with pneumonia in the hospital. Six months into our marriage, bedridden with pneumonia. I think it's safe to say early in our marriage, there was some youthful pride and passion mixed in. How about in the early beginnings of this church, if you could see those beginnings, what would you see? You would see, I think, unceasing prayer and perseverance. This church began on knees in prayer. It began in our living room with just a couple couples. And then it spread to a poolside pavilion known as the Pierce Park Pavilion. In 2014, we did three once-a-month services, invited people who might be interested in cultivating a new community of faith to join us. In the first time we were at the Pierce Park Pavilion, it was 5 p.m. on a Sunday afternoon, and I kid you not, there's, I don't know, 30, 40 of us. I don't remember how many were there. But I do know the pool was packed, and people were walking through the service in bikinis and board shorts because the grills to the pool are on the other side of the pavilion. Right, Wallace? You've grilled there. And so that was a little awkward, but you know what? We came out of the closet and said, here's what we're doing. And they're like, you weirdos. <laughs> True story. We persevered. We ended up meeting on Sunday nights at Providence Baptist Church by their grace and then ended up building out this space called the Holy City Collective and, and launching our church. How about in the beginning of your faith journeys, what would people see? Might they see curious minds or thirsty hearts? Some of you know that I came to faith as a little munchkin at VBS. I dropped to my knees in front of a stained glass window, not fully understanding what I was doing, but understanding I needed him. And I was looking at Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, and uh, he was praying. And it just connected with my heart, even as a little guy. So if people could see even the beginning of your faith story, your journey, what would they see? And you see, that's where we're at in this book of Mark. The question is, 
in the beginning of Jesus' ministry, what do we see? And here's what I believe we see. In the beginning of Jesus' ministry, we see the proclamation, the invitation, and the demonstration of God's power right out of the gate to a world in need. Let me repeat that. In the beginning of Jesus' ministry, we see the proclamation, invitation, and demonstration of God's power to our world in need. So we're going to unpack these points and see how they might apply to us. Point one, in the beginning of Jesus' ministry, we see the proclamation of God's power to a world in need. Uh, we read, now after, Jesus, excuse me, now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the, what? the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So quick question, who in here spent Friday night watching the opening ceremonies to the Olympics? Any of you? Team Sorensen, Team Skinner, some of the others? So it was amazing. You know what's amazing about the Olympics is especially during the opening ceremony, you see, you see teams from around the world gathered together in unity to celebrate sports, to celebrate competition together. Honestly, this in other formats would never happen, but somehow it happens together around sports. And so Friday night, we watched the opening ceremonies from South Korea. And they're announcing something. They're announcing the launch of the Winter Games. And they're not just announcing something. They're announcing someone or some place, which is the Korean culture. So, you know, every four years you've got these different Olympic events and ceremonies. And it's all contextual to where they're holding these games. So, in a beautiful fashion, the South Koreans went over the top. And there is a ceremony that really told their story about who they are as a people and what they stand for. They were proclaiming, like, this is who we are. As a little side note, um, my, my wife might get mad at me for this, but throughout the opening ceremonies, when the team started to process around the inner field, I couldn't help but see those wonderful, persevering souls, Koreans that were part of the celebration for those who watched, literally for like hours, it seemed like there was a whole team of people doing this in the middle of the field the whole time, and like for hours. And the point being, there was no, there, there was no holding back. Fireworks everywhere. There's no holding back to proclaiming that the games were um, being launched. And so it is in Mark chapter one with Jesus. Jesus says, behold, I bring the gospel of God. And he goes on to say, the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe in the gospel. So what is this word gospel? Where do we get this word? What does it mean? We hear it a lot. It comes from a word in the Greek, you pronounce euangelion. The, e, the EU stands for good. The angelos, it's where we get the word angels. Literal translation, messenger. This word means good message, good 
news, and it has cosmic significance. In fact, uh, my wife, she lost her grandfather. She's flying up to Minnesota tomorrow to be at the funeral. And in funerals, we do what? We, we speak, we share a eulogy. This is where we get this word. It's a good word about those who have come or passed. Jesus is bringing the good news, the gospel, as a messenger of God. And what's interesting is the people of that day, both the Jews and the Greco-Roman community, would absolutely know what this word means. You see, in the Old Testament, this word was used to describe victory in battle. It was a military term. Good news, this army has been conquered. You see this in the story with the Philistines. And more than that, you see it used to describe liberation. And so in Isaiah, there's this welling up of anticipation now. But one last kind of nerd element to this. In the Greco-Roman times, they would use it, I don't want to say flippantly, but they'd use it quite often. So if Julius Caesar had a birthday, that'd be good news. If something else happened over here, that'd be good news. But the word was always used in the plural by the Greco-Romans. But in the New Testament, it's always used in the singular. And Jesus is saying, I have come to bring the gospel of God. One way in one person. So how does this apply to us? What are we to make, point number one, that Jesus is coming to proclaim the gospel to them and to us? Well, Matthew, another writer in the Bible, he quotes Isaiah 9 that we often read about during Advent, during the Christmas season. And he says, why did Jesus come? Why is he sharing this gospel? It's because he's fulfilling Isaiah chapter 9. The land of Zebulon and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those who dwell in the region uh, in shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. Another way of saying that is a light has burst into the darkness. How? Through the presence, through the coming, through the ministry of Jesus. So in the most literal fashion, let me ask this. Are there any areas in your life where you feel defeated or you're struggling? Where you need good news that you can't come up with yourself. God has said, look to my son. And Jesus says, repent and believe, which literally means turn and trust. Turn away from this and turn to me. Turn and trust me. I bring good news to you. Point number one, in the beginning of Jesus' ministry, we see the proclamation of God's power to our world in need. Point number two, in the beginning of Jesus' ministry, we see the invitation to God's power to a world in need. We read earlier, passing along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. 
And immediately they left their nets and followed. And going on a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were there in the boat mending the nets. And immediately he called to them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. This invitation to power, it's unbelievably unique. But before we turn to that and what the scriptures say here, let me ask this question. Do you remember as a kid being selected for teams on the PE playground? How awful that was at times? We had Kenneth Paget in the back of the 9 a.m. service say, yeah, that never happened to me. But it did happen to me. Do you guys remember that when you're selecting teams and there's always the kids left at the end? Well, funny story. In the NBA, I'm an NBA fan. I'm a long-suffering Orlando Magic fan. And this year, the NBA decided to spin it, turn it, as to how they select the NBA All-Star teams. Anyone in here like basketball? Okay, good. So this year, what they did is they allowed the top two vote-getters in the uh, All-Star process select their teams from the other all-stars that were selected okay so you have LeBron James selecting one team you have Steph Curry selecting another team okay and so they go through this process but they don't announce who they're selecting first or last okay but somehow through social media this list comes about and it says team LeBron final roster and at the very bottom of this list is the name of Russell Westbrook, OKC. Okay, now here's what's interesting. Russell Westbrook is the reigning MVP of the NBA for last year. And let me just say this. This list and seeing his name at the bottom, this did not bless Russell Westbrook. In fact, it really tweaked him out. He got upset. Only to discover that this list is an alphabetical list. You see, we all handle the selection process differently, don't we? A little background to our text and how this teacher-student selection process would have happened in the Jewish uh, culture of that day. Um, I know some of you have gone to grad school and some of you have pursued doctors, doctorates or masters. In some programs, you have to really present yourself in person to an advisor and have them accept you. You've got to prove your worth. You've got to prove the investment, so you have to sometimes debate other people. You might have to submit essays, if you will. You submit a resume. And um, from that process, a rabbi in that day and age, they would then choose who they wanted to be their pupil. Is that what we see with Jesus? No. In fact, Jesus turned the process of selection on its head. Jesus pursues these four men. They don't pursue him. This was earth-shattering for that day and age. There's nothing about this encounter where they're like, yeah, we're looking for something, we're looking for someone. Not at all. But Jesus looks for them and he says, Steve, come follow me. And I'll make you become, I'll make you fishers of men. It's a radical flip-flop, if you will, of the selection process. And what's interesting is, as you can determine, Jesus requires nothing 
from them to be selected, but then he requires everything if they say yes. They, they didn't have the content of the biblical knowledge or theological knowledge or historical knowledge to be worthy of selection. They had none of that, but they would gain it. How? By following him. So he says, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And they drop their nets and they follow him. Last point under this invitation process Notice that Jesus doesn't just call them to himself. He calls them to mission. He says, Ryan, you're made for more. Follow me and we'll change the world. I'll make you become a fisher of men. What's really amazing is think about these guys, Galilee, was not the epicenter of Judaism in that day. In fact, it was this no man's land. It was made fun of in John chapter 1 and another book of the Bible. Jesus didn't go to Jerusalem looking for the top guns. He went to this little fishing area, selected these four guys. But in that moment when they said yes, imagine how much the world began to change, even in that moment, even in that yes, when they said, we'll follow you. History teaches us that these guys would go on to be game changers in the world. Even Andrew would go as far as Russia with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Peter would end up in Rome telling the accounts of Jesus to a young guy named John Mark who would then write this book. They would go and change the world. Why? Because they met Jesus. So let me ask this question. Do you feel like you're made for more? Jesus says, Butch, follow me. Point number three. In the beginning of Jesus' ministry, we then see the demonstration of God's power to a world in need. So first, the proclamation. Second, the invitation. Last but not least, the demonstration of God's power to a world in need. And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished. One theologian uses the word, they were thunderstruck, like lightning hitting their souls at his teaching. For he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. There was a power that was divine that was with Jesus, teaching God's word. In this process of teaching, this word teaching is used 35 times in the book of Mark. 34 of those times, Jesus is the subject in the teaching. This is a huge part of his life, and obviously, even right now, it's a huge part of our lives in knowing and following him. But it doesn't just remain teaching. It then becomes a demonstration of power and immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him saying, be silent, come out of him. And the unclean spirit convulsing him, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice came out of him. And they were all amazed. 
And it, and it says right from Mark 1, the beginning of Jesus' ministry, after this demonstration of Jesus' power, that fame spread about this new guy, Jesus, throughout the land. You see, in Jesus, we not only see the power of God proclaimed, but the power of God displayed. Right in the thick of good and evil, right in the lives of those in the congregation that day, and honestly, right in the lives of us. I've invited a friend to share her testimony. So, uh, Didi, if you could come forward. And as she's coming forward, um, Didi came up to me less than a month ago and said, Paul, I need to share something with you. Something that's happened uh, here in the DI Fellowship, something that's happened in my life. And so, Didi, um, thank you for being willing to share. Can you share... Um, you went to receive prayer a while back um, in the back of the room during our prayer time. And um, what led you to do that? What were you struggling with in your life? And when did that start? Um, I was struggling with demons. And I know some of you are probably thinking, oh, yeah, right. Um, demons are real. Devil is real. Demons are out there. They're, they're a real thing. And it's something that I'd struggled with um, for 48 years. Um, and I was afraid to tell anybody because I was a Christian. I was raised in a Christian household. Um, my mom would put Bible verses up on the mirror. They would, my parents would pray with us at night. We would have family devotions. It was a wonderful Christian household. But shortly after I accepted Jesus, I began having dreams of demons. Now, these weren't Hollywood-created demons because this was 1970. There weren't movies that had demons in them. There wasn't, we weren't being bombarded with um, things evil on television and movies and stuff. So when I had my dream, my initial dreams of demons, it was, there was just no doubt in my mind they were demons. It was terrifying. Mm. And they would come in spells. It seems like every time I would something good would happen and I'd be especially close to Jesus or I'd start a new Bible study or something, I would have these spells of uh, demon dreams and I, I would not tell anybody what these dreams were about. My mom would ask me and I'd just say I don't remember because, number one, I was ashamed because I was a Christian. I was not supposed to be having these demons um, try to attack me. And number two, I was scared of them. They had such power over me. I was so afraid of the dark. I was afraid to go to sleep. Um, and they, I mean, this just literally went on for 48 years of being terrified to the point that I took prescription sleep medication most of my adult life. Um, and then four months ago, um, Bill and I started the Love Dare book. And we were every night before bed, we were doing our devotion and having great prayer time together. And we'd been doing it right out of week when the demons came. Oh, and let me back up a minute. These demons, sometimes I'd wake up under my bed. Sometimes I'd wake up curled up in a corner. I'd woken up in the closet. Um, I would wake up out of breath, um, beet red, sweaty. I mean, as a child, too. It's not just old age stuff. But um, <laughs> just, I mean, they were real. I, I was in fights. It was literal fights. And I can remember my mom one time, even though I wouldn't tell her what I was dreaming, 
um, she would sometimes be at my bedside praying over me. I'd wake up, and there she'd be. And I can remember one time I heard her yelling, Get thee behind me, Satan. So even though I hadn't said, Hey, Mom, I'm dreaming about demons, she knew that I was in this spiritual warfare. And that was actually a term that I heard at my house. I, I knew what spiritual warfare was. But this last time, it was, I had this terrifying dream, and I'd finally told Bill, I finally had the courage to tell my husband. I mean, for years, he didn't know why I was screaming in the night. And I had woken him up many times screaming. And I wouldn't tell him, my husband, that I've loved since I was 15. I wouldn't tell him I'm dreaming about demons because I was scared and ashamed. And then finally, I told him, and we, um, he led me back there to Stephen Kim. Um, we took our communion, and then he just took my hand and he took us back there. I really didn't have a choice but to spill the beans to somebody else. Um, I'm having these dreams of, of demons. These demons are attacking me. And Stephen Kim prayed, and I physically felt something lift off of me. It wasn't just something in my imagination. I physically felt lighter. And not only am I not, I haven't had even an unpleasant dream in over four months. No bad dreams, no unpleasant dreams, no nightmares, certainly no demon dreams. But I'm not even taking any sleep medication. It's been four months, and I have not even needed any sleep medication anymore. Um, God has truly released me from this. And whatever you're struggling with, he can release you too. It's a matter of prayer, sharing, let other people in, and claim God's promises. Um, one of my favorite ones that I've used for years is 2 Timothy 1.7. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but one of power and love and of a sound mind. Amen. So in your story, you said years you, you spent in fear and in shame and really being oppressed by demonic activity. And you finally were able to share it with your husband, and he was able to lead you to our little prayer team in the back of the room, and there's deliverance in your life. Friends, at the end of the book of, excuse me, in the middle of the book of Revelation, at the end of the Bible... There's this verse. They triumphed over him, meaning Satan, by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Let me repeat the first part of that. They triumphed over him by the blood of the Lamb, which is Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, and by the word of their testimony. So I know some of you, this is so new, and this is kind of bizarre, but others in here know this all too well, and you are tortured right now. Yes, in beautiful Charleston, beautiful Daniel Island, you've been living in fear and shame, crippled by sin or by pain, attacked, we had a family after the first service come, two kids are seeing, regularly seeing things that they don't even want to share about. We pray deliverance over them. I know we live in a rationalized Western culture. We had someone after the first service say, all you have to do is go on a missions trip 
to Haiti or Cuba, and you'll see this stuff firsthand. God sent his son, Jesus, to bring good news and to set you free. Some of you need to hear this proclamation in your lives today. And you need to turn and trust him, maybe for the first time or maybe for the thousandth thousandth time. Second, some of you are longing to live a life worth living. You're longing for more, and you know what? You're right. Jesus says, follow me. And some of you are crippled by evil right now. And Jesus steps in, and by his power, wants to set you free. Do you believe this? So here's what we're going to do as we close the message I'm going to invite you to just bow your heads, close your eyes. If you want and need to hear the good news and turn and trust him, or if you want to be invited to say, yes, I'm going to follow Jesus, or if you need liberation for any evil in your life, I'm going to invite you to close your eyes. I'm going to pray over you. If this is you, I invite you to lightly lift your hand as I pray over you as a physical sign of saying yes to God. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray right now in the power and with the blood of Jesus Christ that you would set these people free. God, for some, they need good news. They're defeated, they're struggling, and we say yes, we turn and trust you, Jesus. Some of us are longing for a bigger life, a better life, And we know we're made for more. And we say, yes, Jesus, we follow you. And some of you are struggling with all sorts of things. Addiction, oppression, possession of evil. In the power of Jesus Christ, I declare you are set free. Say yes to Jesus. God, reign in our hearts and reign in this church. In the name of Jesus, we pray, amen.